Hey, it's Jonathan Baum, and you are listening to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. Why not book a Yuck Yucks on-tour show for your school, fundraiser, or next corporate event? Go to yuckyucks.com and click on Hire a Comic. Let our experienced agents help you put together a show that is right for you. Be sure to visit us at www.yuckyucks.com. Twitter. Twitter. And follow us on Twitter using hashtag YYCP. What is going on, my little yuckamaniacs? Welcome to the Yuck Yucks Comedy Podcast. I am your host, Jay Kirsch. Thank you for joining me. We've got a fantastic episode this week. Uh, but before we get into that, uh, big ups to everybody uh, who listened to the Steve Patterson interview last week, which was absolutely dynamite. Steve Patterson, such a great talent. And we've had just some fantastic guests in the last little while. Uh, not that everybody's not my favorite guest, but uh, you know what I'm trying to say. We've had some real big standout interviews the last little while especially uh, this last week with Steve Patterson um, <clears throat> and, of course, with uh, Kevin Stobo, uh, Tony Benz. We've just had some really great, great sit-downs, and this week is no different. Uh, but, again, before I get into that, um, I would be remiss if I did not bring up this godforsaken news channel, CNN. Uh, it, it feels like it was just a week ago and it, and it probably was, I was sitting around the clock watching Snowmageddon on CNN, which, uh, for the first time it was actually accurate. They did get a, a big uh, whack of snow out there on the East coast. But, uh, tonight, of course, it being the Iowa, Iowa caucuses, the big political, uh, race to see who is going to be coming out in front of the primaries, uh, for the U S presidential race. Now, I know not everybody's a political junkie like myself, but uh, I do. I love this shit. I love politics. I love, you know, seeing the the big the drama on TV, people attacking each other. Uh, it's it's just makes for some great entertainment. <laughs> it really does, especially in Canada when, when, you know, this last year was the only time anybody even bothered to attack each other about politics. Everybody just uh, apologizing all the time to each other. But uh, it it was fascinating to see. The amount of people that will rally around a crazy, insane person like Donald Trump uh, in his bid for presidency. Now, I know people are fed up and I know people want change. However, I implore you not to go with that type of change. Donald Trump, I mean, you know, it's like at some point in time, people are going to be like, okay, okay, all right, no, 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 seriously, now we're going to give this guy the code to the nukes. We're going to have this guy represent us on the world stage. Uh, what And what will other countries think of us? Seriously. If Donald Trump is, I mean, they've already had uh, opposition talks in the parliament in the United Kingdom about Donald Trump not being welcome there. How do you have a world leader that's not welcome around? Well, I'm sure there's a ton of people out there that are not welcome around the world, but you know what I'm saying? I mean, the United States stands for being the ambassador of goodwill, the ambassador of uh, foreign aid and diplomacy and war <laughs> and bombing the shit out of other countries. But we do have a reputation to uphold, ladies and gentlemen. I'm telling you right now, I'm not sure if Donald Trump is up to the task. He might be a little too busy building that wall and uh, deporting 11 million Mexican people across the border. Listen, I don't want to make this into a political rant. I'm just saying you would... 
be hard pressed to find someone who is not at least a little bit educated on what's going on in the States politically, or who's not keeping their, their finger on the pulse of it all. Um, but let me segue in. Okay. With the United States, uh, as uh, I mentioned uh, previous times, I am American. Uh, I grew up in the States for the most part. I came to Canada a little bit later, a little bit here and there, spent some time here and there. But uh, at any rate, today's guest, a good friend of mine from the States. And, you know, of course, we interview American comics all the time. We've had, you know, American comedians on the show uh, plenty of times. But uh, this one was a little bit different because this is somebody who I used to know. This is a, an, an old, old friend of mine uh, from back in the day. And uh, we recently reconnected. And he is just absolutely killing it out there doing what he's doing, uh, which is a podcaster. He's a producer. He's a casting agent. Uh, he's a blogger. He's, you know, he's, it's to name off everything that Frank does would be, would be damn near impossible. He's a renaissance man, if you will. Someone who's into everything. Um, and we had a really good chat. And the funny thing about it is, is that I was nervous as hell doing this interview. I'm, I don't know why. Maybe because we haven't really had the chance to talk and catch up and bullshit. It's been such a long time since uh, since we had spoken. But uh, like I said, we recently got into touch. And I was just so impressed with all the stuff that he's doing. I've always been impressed by uh, the work that he's done. Uh, you know, he's such a gifted writer and a comedian that I was like, this would be the perfect person to have on the show. Now, <clears throat> you can look at this in a couple of ways. One, Frank is down in Los Angeles. He knows what's going on. Uh, he's got a lot of experience in the entertainment business. Uh, he's been a casting agent for a long, long time. Uh, he cast, you know, reality shows and, and all that type of stuff. But uh, he's had a chance to get up on stage and, and, and be around some some very seasoned veteran comics. He's also had uh, the opportunity to go to a lot of these landmark comedy clubs that a lot of, I mean, let's face it, most comedians aspire to one day go rock out Los Angeles at, you know, the landmark clubs, places that, you know, of course you would only know on TV, uh, the comedy store, um, the improv, you know, these types of places that are obviously synonymous with comedy, the birthplace of comedy. And, and of course, you know, yes, the majority of clubs started on the, on the East coast in New York city, but there's also a lot of history down there. And it's really where a lot of people in this business go to make it and try to succeed in entertainment. And I find that it's either New York or Los Angeles, for the most part in the United States. You don't hear a lot of people going to Dallas to make it in the entertainment business. Uh, let's face it, New York, LA are the large markets that are producing the most amount of shows and entertainment. And therefore, you got to be there if you want to get in. Now, getting a perspective from someone who's actually there, who lives there, who has been there for a long period of time, I thought, hey, why don't we sit down and, and, and bullshit with Frank and, and catch up and not only give us a chance to catch up and, and to, uh, to shoot the shit, but to also hear his experiences there, uh, what the local scene is like, and you know, not always through the eyes of someone who has left here and gone down there. You, 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 are you following what I'm trying to say here? Jesus. Now, I think to get that perspective is very important. And I, and you hear those perspectives uh, and opinions from 
American comedians who come up to Calgary and who I have a chance to sit down and, and, and talk with. But ultimately, you don't talk to a lot of people who have spent a long, long time in Los Angeles. Usually people have been there, you know, four or five years or something. You know, Frank's been there for quite a while. And he's made a very nice home for himself. He's got a great family and, uh, you know, and, and things could not be better. However, he is also very aware and in tune as to what's going on on the local scene. You know, the rooms, the clubs, who's playing where and, and who's showing up where and, and who's doing a set here and, and, you know, all those types of things. So I thought who better to talk to than someone who's there and who, and who spent some time there. And who's going to be honest about it. And that's the good thing about Frank is that he's not going to pull any fucking punches. Uh, and he speaks to this in our interview. He talks about how the metaphor really that L.A. is a great training ground for people. It's a great gym to work out in. But if you really are wanting to expand your following and get out to the masses, you're going to have to get on the road. You're going to have to travel. You're going to have to get out there and do the legwork that all comedians do. Uh, you can't just wait around Los Angeles waiting to get signed and become famous. I think, as he mentions, doing that there, honing your craft, and really becoming a master at what you do before you go out and present yourself to the rest of the world is a fantastic idea. And I think, for the most part, everything I've spoken to uh, American comics about have been very similar along those lines. You got to get out there. You got to work the rooms. You got to hustle. You got to do as much stand-up as you possibly can, and I think LA has got that market that allows you to have you know as many comedy nights as you can possibly. I mean, it, the really, it's up to you. If you want to do comedy seven nights a week, I'm sure there is a place every night of the week in LA that's hosting a comedy, an open mic, or, or whatever the case is. And people are saying, "Well, yeah, you can do that anywhere." Yes, you can, but it's not everywhere you get to go and watch real true professionals masters of their crafts get up on stage and kill it and crush it every night of the week you just don't you don't have those places in every city you don't you know it's not often you go to a club and you see you know these big marquee you know guys go up there and you know they want to try out and you know work some new material you know you don't know who you're going to run into that's the beauty of it down there is that uh, there's a lot of magic that happens, and it happens every night of the week. But anyway, we're going to get into all that, uh, and it's a fantastic interview. Again, my apologies if I sound nervous. I don't know what it is. I just chalk it up to having that. He's kind of always had that big brother thing over me. <laughs> Does that even make sense? I don't know. Whatever. Anyway, it's a great uh, it's a great interview. I'd love to have Frank back on again uh, just because uh, he's such a wealth of knowledge uh, about the local L.A. comedy scene. Also, talk about Seven Degrees of separation, you know, there's always a connection. You know, a lot of people here know the name Trent McClellan, uh, who is a fantastic uh, comedian right here in Calgary. And uh, I've seen Trent a number of times, uh, very hilarious, very funny guy. Um, and he was just at the San Diego um, Comedy Festival, where he was in a contest to, you know, uh, I don't know what the hell they were going to win or, or, you know, contra. I don't, I don't know. I wasn't there, but at any rate, I know that he competed because I was following his, uh, his travels there on his Facebook. And as it turns out, Frank was one of the judges at that comedy festival in San Diego, the very same one that Trent McClellan was just performing on and competing on. So small world, very, very small world. I've always said, you know, the comedy business, the comedy arena is a very big pool of talent. 
but a very small community of people. And, uh, that just goes to show. So, uh, very, very cool thing. Uh, and I think Trent ended up getting sixth place or something like that. So congratulations to Trent McClellan. Hope to have him on the show. One of these days, dynamite, dynamite, uh, comedian. Also, I would be remiss not to remind you to check out our guests, Frank Prather's podcast. He does it with a very funny, uh, and as you well uh, might know of Hal Sparks, the name. Of course, he's been on a ton of TV shows. Uh, he's been uh, Disney. He's been producing. He's been directing. He's done everything. Uh, Hal Sparks has been around forever. But check out their podcast, Superior Podcast. It's a dynamite show. Uh, I really encourage you guys to listen to that. Uh, and... Hey, stay tuned. I just finished this three podcast marathon last weekend, and all three of them turned out absolutely amazing. It was a, it was a very rare that you get to sit down with three different people all back to back and have each one of those interviews turn out great, and all of them did. I was very, very impressed with that, very happy with that. But uh, in the meantime, folks, let's go talk to my good buddy, Frank Prather. Oh, this was years in the making, man. This is your, because, I mean, you really inspired, not, probably not only myself, but I mean, you inspired a, a huge generation of people to probably write, and you were probably one of the first people, cutting edge wise, to get in on the scene of writing blogs, of uh, status updates that were funny back in the day on MySpace and stuff like that. But I mean, you've got a long history with social media that probably could credit you for a lot of the start of that movement back then. Well, I definitely caught on to a lot of social media early. You know, when I started blogging, it was primarily on MySpace, where I built a pretty big following for that. And they didn't even call them blogs then. They were called journals on MySpace. I never even heard the term, never even heard the term blog. Uh, And then, of course, you know, it it transitioned to things like Twitter and Facebook with status updates uh, and all that. And, And so I made the jump to those pretty quickly. And then, uh, you know, as you know, because you were the person that introduced me to live streaming Internet radio, (laughs) that uh, that so so my live show and my sort of introduction to podcasting, live streaming video, all that stuff uh, came from that. So I I know I was an early adopter of a lot of those things, um, particularly the live streaming video. And now it's funny because with things like Periscope, Literally anybody can do it from their phone all the time with a click of a button, whereas it cost me uh, quite a few dollars to get a streaming video on the Internet. Maybe I want to shoot myself in the face when I think about it now. That was incredible. The the pricing structure back in the day of what it cost to host and cost uh, to to uh, to store content and all that type of stuff. But but, yeah, I remember that, man. I mean, you were I mean you you were one of the first ones out there to actually have a podcast and it's funny because years later it's almost come full full circle but i've been listening to your podcast man it's it's absolutely unbelievable uh superior podcast tell me a bit about that well yeah so um you know i had done uh, i'd done you know different versions of podcasts and streaming shows for a long time uh, and you know most of it was just stuff that i thought was fun and funny Mm -hmm. you know entertaining guests 
things like that. Right. And then, you know, as, as I've sort of evolved a little bit over time, um, you know, become a dad and um, been super interested in, you know, how I can sort of better my life, uh, I decided I wanted to do a podcast and I was looking for somebody to, to do it with. And the first person that came to mind was Hal Sparks. He and I are good friends. Right. Um, we, have a, we have a lot of similarities in our pursuits and in our desire to, just to put it bluntly, to live cool lives. Right. You know, it, it, it's, it's easy to say that it's a motivational podcast. I mean, half of it's self-aggrandizing of like, <laughs> look at all the cool shit we do. Don't you wish you did it too? But, but, but the subtext there uh, really is, you know, how can we communicate that to other people? Right. I've always tried to inspire the people around me and motivate them to, you know, succeed in whatever endeavor they wanted to, you know, undertake, whether it be fitness or business sure. or relationships. Um, Hal is very similar in that sense. So we said, you know, a, a lot of comedians are doing just comedy podcasts right. where they just sit and talk about random stuff or they have a subject matter that they like, like, you know, a sport or wrestling. And I'm all for all of that. Mm -hmm. But we, we just said, you know what? We spend a lot of our time just simply being funny. Right. Let's do something, too, that, that, that shows one of our other layers and, you know, go out and express this to the world. In the meantime, maybe we can, uh, you know, maybe we can help some people you know, take, take their ideas and, and their lives to the next level. And so it sounds super Tony Robbins <laughs> slash Tim, Tim Ferriss-ish, um, but, but, but it's not. I, I'm, I'm no different than the normal me. I get on there, I talk a lot about stuff that's inspiring and motivating with Hal, uh, and then I talk a lot of shit too. So, Well, you know, and it's, it's such a great forum for you as well because I remember having conversations with you, you know, back in the day. And it, it really is you. It's the same person. There's not, you know, a lot of times people get on podcasts or they get on some type of a social platform and they become somebody else. They become a character. They become, you know, somebody that, that wants to, uh, you know, uh, stand out. And, and for you listening to you on that podcast, it's really you. I mean, that's how you really are, uh, whether it be in, you know, not on the podcast or, or, you know, broadcasting or whatever, uh, You've always been like that. You've always been a very motivating guy, whether it be about fitness, whether it be about career, whether it be about just being the best person that you can be. Uh, how do you manage that? I mean, how do you get the – because, you know, obviously there's a lot of different people out there. There's some people that will sit on the couch and talk about going and doing shit. You've always been the person to go out there and actually do shit. And what has been that motivation for you? You know, it's funny because for a large, you know – percentage of my life, I, I couldn't have put a label on the way I live mm -hmm. in the sense that I just go out and, and do what I want to do. Right. But that is the way I've always lived. I do what I want to do. I say what I want to say. And it didn't hit me until I matured a little bit and was able to sort of categorize, you know, my lifestyle in the sense of like, you know, if I think of something and I want to try it or want to do it, I go out and pursue it, and I make sure I succeed in it. Right. Success is is what you, you know, how you determine it as an individual. There are certain things when, to, that, to me, success is that I've done it well and I've had fun with it. Doesn't mean I had to be the best on the planet. Mm -hmm. Stand up was a prime example. When I got into stand up, I didn't go into stand up with the idea that I'm going to 
quit my job, leave my family, go on the road and try to become uh, the next, you know, Bill Burr. Like sure. that wasn't my goal. Right. My goal was to go on stage, challenge myself, be really fucking funny and have fun doing it. Right. And, and over the course of a very short period of time, um, I was fortunate enough to meet a lot of great comics and producers of shows who put me uh, on stage with other comics that I was in awe of to be even near. Um, mm-hmm. Hal Sparks is a prime example. Hal said, come and, you know, come and do spots with me and, and put me on stage. Right. And, you know, in many, in many ways, uh, you know, I'm about to walk up there and I'm like, they have no idea. I shouldn't be here. Like they don't know what they're doing. But but as you know, you know me, and and I'm confident. And I sure. said I'm going to go up there, and I'm going to crush, and I'm going to go home and go to bed and get up and go to work the next day. And I only say that to make the point of, you know, I decided I was going to do it, and I went and did it. Yeah. Yeah. And 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 that's that's the way it was, and and I I continue to do that with everything that I do. Um, and I think that, that it's just a matter of I don't have that barrier in front of me psychologically that a lot of people have that either prevents them from feeling motivated or prevents them from feeling like they can succeed. And that barrier can be everything from laziness to fear of failure to all that. And one, I've never been lazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I like shit that's hard to do. Like right. throw it in front of me and let's, let's, let's go at it. You right. know what I mean? Like right. I, I I like life to be a little bit of a fight, but I also don't feel failure because I've failed so many times in my life that to me, it's comical now when I fail at things. I'm like, oh my God, can you believe how bad I screwed that up? <laughs> ah, like, like who cares? You know, it's, again, stand up, which, you know, probably a lot of your audience can relate to mm-hmm. is a prime example. Every great stand up has bombed countless times, hundreds of times, thousands of times. I don't care who you're talking about. You sure. know, again, I'll, I'll reference Bill Burr, who's probably the most popular comic on the planet at the moment, uh, or at least one of them, arguably. Sure. Uh, that guy's bombed at some point. Granted, right. I've never seen it, but I, but I know he has. Absolutely. I've, I've talked so to... You, yeah. I'm sorry? Oh, no, no. I, I don't mean to ramble on. I was going to say, but if you, if you haven't bombed, you're not good yet. Yeah, you know, I, I go back to this story where I, I was interviewing a headliner over here in uh, Calgary, uh, Cal Post, and he asked me to go on the road with him, and we went uh, we went down to do a gig, and we walked in, and this was obviously just like a side a side job for him, but you know, we walked into this bar. There was probably about ten people. He started talking about you know the government and stuff like that. Like five people got up and left, and I remember going to him and saying. I don't think I want to fucking do this, man. Like, I don't think I want to go up on stage right now in front of four people and really be by myself. And by this time he was a couple of drinks in, but it was, it was something very similar to that. He said, you know what, man, you need this baptism and failure to get to that next point in your career. Like you need to, you need to bomb. You need to go up there and be uncomfortable as much as you can. And you have to be able to go up and do stand up in front of four people or 400 fucking people. Either one, you need to go up there and do it. And I think it was probably one of the best experiences of my life to get up there and actually do that. And I think that speaks a lot to what you say of, of having these feelings of like, you know what? I don't know if I necessarily belong on stage with a lot of these people, but if I don't go up and kind of grasp that opportunity as it sits in front of me and get out of my own skin and become uncomfortable, you're never really going to see what's going to come out of it. 
you're you're absolutely right. Now, you know, like let me just give you an example. So the first time I ever legitimately did stand up, um, I uh, my my friend Adam Hunter, who's a great comic, great um, invited amazing me. comic, yeah. yeah yeah, he, he, he and I had been social media friends for years, and, and he messaged me one day and said, you're super funny, come in and do a set on my show. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he was, he was performing at the John Lovitz Comedy Club Universal, and I went up there, I did it my first time, and I can say this with, without uh, feeling like I'm being egotistical. Mm-hmm. For my first time on stage, I crushed. I crushed. Right. I, and now... That's a great experience because it gives you confidence to go on. Right. A few weeks later, my second time on stage, I bombed so badly that I thought I was going to shit my pants <laughs> on stage. And this was this was at a show put on by Jay Davis. The audience was packed. There were tons of great comics. I assume I'm going to go in and, and have the same experience I had the first time. Sure. It was it was quite the opposite. <laughs> and. And as I drove home with my, my girlfriend at the time, uh, now my wife, uh, she had to talk me down from the ledge because I'm like, well, I'm done. That's it. <laughs> Never going to go up again. <laughs> worst experience of my life. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and she, she talked me down from that ledge. And she said, the only reason that you bombed is because the first time you did this, you went up there and owned the stage and were confident. Right. And she said, you know, the first time where you have good material, but it can't possibly be the greatest material ever. Right. And I'm like, well, no, granted. And she said, you had the same material the second time. So it wasn't the material and it wasn't the audience. It was you. Right. Right. And I went, fuck, you're absolutely right. And so after that, I decided every time I go on stage and this applies to all aspects of your life, by the way. Sure. You know, it doesn't matter, dating, business, anything. I go up there and I own it. If, if the stage is a throne, I'm the king of that motherfucker. Mm-hmm. And I get up there and I sit in my throne and I rule. Right. Now, that, that doesn't mean that the audience is going to respond every time. Sure. And, and that part I get. But I've gone up on stage since then and had... Uh, performances where maybe I wasn't hitting things correctly or maybe the audience just wasn't feeling me, mm-hmm. but you couldn't tell you wouldn't know because I owned it. And when I walked off, even if that particular time I didn't get as many laughs, I was okay. I was right. like, you know what? Uh, maybe I felt a little off and my timing wasn't right. Or maybe that audience just thought that guy's a dick, uh, you know, which happens in, in, in my regular life too. So, <laughs> Uh, so anyway, point, point being is I, I just got up there and, and owned it. And if you do that in every aspect of your life, um, you, you'll be great at almost everything. Mm-hmm. And at the risk of, of filibustering you and not letting you uh, talk, I'm going to say one more thing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, I, this, is, this is great. This is great stuff. Um, when I said that uh, you know, I had the opportunity, people had put me on really good shows. And, and I kind of would jokingly say I didn't belong. Um, I have a huge level of self-awareness. Right. And when I say I didn't belong, I just meant that the caliber of comics that I have been lucky enough to perform uh, even briefly on or around their show, it's been so high that I, I am humbled by it. Right. But I never allowed anyone to put me on a show that I thought would make them look bad for putting me on it. So right. if, if 
uh, a friend of mine called me and said, I got a show at the Improv. I can give you a, a guest spot. I only showed up for that if I knew I could go in and work that room in a way that people wouldn't go, how the fuck did that guy get in here? Right, right. Um, and, you know, I, I, I was asked, I was traveling to Florida at one point, and a promoter down there said, do you want a headline? Do you have 45 minutes? And I said, oh, no, under no circumstances do I have 45 minutes worth of material. <laughs> like, I, know, I, I, know, I know that. And, and I, because I didn't have it, I didn't want to put him in the position. Anybody would have jumped at that opportunity. Sure. But it was it was five days away. There was no way I was going to build up that amount of material and get to get to go put it up before I, I went down there. So I didn't want to make anybody look bad, and I knew my limitations. Now that said, I was supposed to do uh, a twenty minute feature spot, right? Which I started, and the headliner didn't show up. Holy shit! So I ended up doing just over. 30 minutes and most of the extra stuff was crowd work because I'm pretty good at improvising. Now, then the headliner showed up, I wrapped up my set and did it. But after the show, I was, I was really felt good because all the people in the audience came up and they said, we love you so much. Uh, we should have done more time. And I wanted to go, you're fucking lucky you got the time out of me that you got. (laughs) Like, like half that shit I was making up on the spot, you know. Anyway, so. that, that, that is you know those experiences though. I mean, really shape who you are as a performer. And I mean, getting back to like, of course, you know, you're based out of Los Angeles now, but well, you've been there for such a long time. But I mean, that's really the epicenter of stand-up comedy for the most part. I mean, you got big markets like New York and Los Angeles and stuff. You know, there's a lot of markets in, in between, but but really, that's the place everyone goes to make it. And starting out in comedy over there, because, you know, you were also very talented, like I said earlier, at the written word. Does that always translate for you over to stand-up comedy? Or did you find that you had to refine your material? Or did you just make everything up, you know, new material when you started getting into stand-up comedy? So uh, all of my stand-up material was brand new. I mean, you know, just like you said before, like my personality is what it is when I go on stage that's still me. Even my act is me. And, and almost all of my material is directly related to my actual personal life. Right. So, but the writing definitely translated in the sense, um, not that I was able to turn my writing into material, but that the way that I wrote, and you know, because you've read my stuff, Mm -hmm. there are even the stuff that's just a, a humorous story. I build punchlines into the story. Right. So there are points that hit. So I always had that ability to sort of set up a premise and then hit you with something where that thing, even when you were reading it, was designed to make you laugh. Right. But without it being written as just a straight joke. Sure. So writing jokes was not that challenging for me. And again, I don't say that to say I'm the greatest joke writer that's ever lived. I just had had a lot of experience writing in that manner. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was able to do it. Uh, the only thing that sucked is that when I started doing stand up, I started posting a lot less of my jokes on social media. And, you know, people who didn't know I was doing stand up in Los Angeles because maybe they lived in Milwaukee right. would write to me and say, Hey, you're, you're not posting as much stuff or your stuff's not as funny. And I'm like, 
yeah, now I'm telling jokes on stage. Like, I'm not going to post them for people to read before I go up there. Like, what are you talking about? Like, I'm not generating that so much material on a minute-to-minute basis Just where I'm capable of doing that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You, you know, the, the, the thing about Los Angeles is that it is known as a very tough, tough market to make it in that line of work. And I know that, you know, you, you don't do stand-up full-time, but... But obviously, it's a huge passion of yours starting out in that market down there. I mean, you're surrounded, like you said. I mean, you, you obviously, you were able to get on some big, big shows with some you know huge names right off the bat. Has that always been a difficult process to make it in a town where everyone's trying to make it? Or do you just find a way to kind of hit those spots or, or connect with the right people? Here's the thing. You cannot make, uh, you cannot make money doing stand-up in Los Angeles. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not... It's not a realistic thing because if you look at something like the comedy store, for example, on any given night, they'll have a, a lineup of, you know, Joe Rogan, Joey Diaz, Tony Hinchcliffe, Eliza Schlesinger, Theo Vaughn, just doing 10 minute sets on a show. Wow. Uh, they're not all getting paid, but they're $50 comedy store regular fee or something, right. a, a, an amount of money that's, that's insignificant. And so because they're getting people like that, you know, you can't work your way up and then be booking headline spots in this city. Sure. What you get in this city is, A, the ability to do stand-up every single night of the week multiple times if you want to. Right. Because in the beginning, there's, there's dozens of open mics every night. And then when you get even just a little bit better, there's still dozens and dozens of book shows. And a book show here can be anything from, you know, a crappy show at a local bar where you're just working out material for a handful of drunks. Right. Um, up to all of the comedy clubs uh, where on, on their nights where they don't have all of the big headliners, you know, that producers putting on shows where you can get good stage time and maybe you, maybe you go up and do your 10 minutes. Spot. And then, you know, a few minutes later, you know, Ralphie May is doing his headlining spot for it. Right. So you, you, you can't get paid to be a comic here, but you become a comic here. So well said, man. So well said. And I, it, I've... If that makes sense, it's like being a bodybuilder. Sure. Being a bodybuilder, you do all your work in the gym, but the payoff is when you go to the competition. Right. And, and, and that's, and the competition is somewhere else. It's not in your gym. Right. LA is the gym where you become the Arnold Schwarzenegger of comedy. The rest of the country is where you go and flex those muscles and somebody pays you to do it, which is a super bizarro, weird reference. No, I actually, feel like it's, it's a great it's, fucking analogy. It's and I'm a genius di- for saying it. It's a dynamite analogy. It really is because I think that, that really, that really resonates with a lot of people who go down there looking for that dream. They go down there thinking, I'm going to do some stand-up sets, you know, put in a year, put in six fucking months, and someone's going to see me, and someone's going to offer me a pilot, or, you know, they're going to you know, meet enough people that someone's going to take me on the road. And you're absolutely right, because I know uh, up in Canada, we have a very super talented group of comedians over here. I mean, there's comedians from coast to coast in Canada that, that are just amazing. And I, I feel that a lot of comedians go down to Los Angeles thinking this is going to be the answer 
to what they're looking for instead of concentrating on building their brand and then just going there to really see where you sit on that totem pole. Uh, I have a feeling that's why a lot of people go down there and they, it, you know, six months later they're broke and they end up coming back and it just doesn't work. Yeah. If you come to Los Angeles with dreams of making a living in the entertainment industry, I'm, I'm, I'm behind you a hundred percent. If you come to Los Angeles and you think you're going to uh, make a living in the entertainment industry within a few years, you're an idiot. So don't, <laughs> don't, don't do that. Yeah. Come down here, come down here with, uh, first of all, some money in your pocket and preferably some people that you know that can help you find a place to live and whatever, but get a job. Unless you have people, parents that are supporting you or something, you know, you're independently wealthy, you need to get a job, preferably if you want to be a comic, you need to get a day job mm-hmm. and then every single night get on stage. And if you're already an experienced comic, like say somebody that's been working the circuit up there in Canada and doing well, um, and, and they, they want to come down and break into this, then good. They're going to start off, they're going to have a running start. But even if it's somebody that's a beginner that wants to do it, um, what you need to do is you need to build up your app and then you need to start to network, uh, you know, with all of those people. Right. And if you're lucky, you'll, you'll make friends with a headliner that maybe they will put you on a feature spot here and there. But in, in, unless you have a Netflix special, uh, Joe Logan isn't taking you on the road with him. <laughs> That's not going to happen. You're, you're, you're ridiculous if you think that. Because, first of all, only the most massively paid comics are hiring the acts that go with them. Sure. And those guys are already making their own living. Right. Um, if you're going on the road with somebody, you know, even a good comic, you know, or a great comic that's headlining clubs is not paying you to go on the road. They might get you, they might call the club and say, can you give my buddy a feature spot? But you're getting 150 bucks or 200 bucks. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, you're you're not making any money, so plan to come down here and put that grind in. Right. But once you once you once you performing, you know, regularly at the comedy store and the improv and the laugh factory and the ice house and you're crushing and people are knowing your name, then you start to spread out a little bit regionally, you know, you can get other clubs to book you. I mean, I've been fortunate enough you know, I've done shows at the Hollywood Improv. I've done shows at the Irvine Improv, the Brea Improv. Mm-hmm. You can drive to it from here. I've done it. Right. And all of those shows were, were headliner comics giving me a spot. Right. And, you know, and, and so you can start to build that up and get tape in your resume and all that. I mean, everybody knows that's the startup process. But, you know, when, when you go on stage at the Hollywood Improv and you come back off, the only thing that is richer is your resume mm-hmm. because you spent eight dollars to park right. and you didn't get paid. <laughs> so <laughs> that's that's the best that's the best you're getting. So I encourage people to do it if they believe in their dream. Right. But I discourage them from thinking that that dream's going to pay them money within the first couple of years. It's not. It's just going to cost you money. Yeah, you know what? And that's such a that's such a, a excellent point because like I've been I've had the chance to sit down with some with some monsters, which you know from comics from LA. I've had a chance to interview people like Ari Shafir and Steve Simone and Sam Tripoli. I think what a lot of people forget is that these are guys that, like you said, have been grinding it out 
not just a couple of years, for fucking 15, 20 years. I mean, Sam Tripoli was talking about, you know, back in the day when, you know, Mark Marin was working the door at the, uh, you know, at, at the comedy store or when Ari Shafir, you know, got into a, a, a van and they traveled across the country and, and doing comedy shows. These are guys have been putting in their work for years and years and years. Do you think that with the, you know, how far we've come with social media, like you said, stuff like Periscope and, and you know, shows like Last Comic Standing and, and YouTube stars and sensations. And so do you think that that's becoming kind of a lost art? Do you think that, you know, our handle on what celebrities are and, and what, you know, gifted talent, com- you know, comedians are and stuff like that. Do you think that these people are are somehow taking shortcuts or, or is it still required to put in those years of work towards realizing that dream? Um, look, I think you can you can achieve a level of notoriety mm-hmm. through your internet endeavors, um, and and I wholly endorse that too. Uh, however, you are not going to be a stage comic because of your internet endeavors. Right. And Ari, Ari Shafir is a great example of that. A guy who, um, you know, has taken steps back from from social media in recent years. I mean, he still does it, but sure. you know, he's he, he tries not to be as focused on it. Um, and, uh, and big shout out to Ari Shapir who, uh, let me have a guest spot at the DC improv nice. when I was there. Nice. Um, but, but, uh, but yeah, I don't think there's no shortcut to being a stand up comic. Simple as that. To being an entertainer. Um, it's still not a shortcut. You have to be awesome and you have to put in work, even if the internet blows you up. Right. But look, I work, uh, as a, as a professional casting director, um, and we developed primarily unscripted, a.k.a. reality shows that for all sorts of people, and we are constantly trying to figure out a way to break Internet stars into TV. Right. And it doesn't translate. Look, look at the cable television landscape where most of the shows are. How many people on those shows can you identify as YouTube or Twitter or Instagram stars? Right, right. They're, they're not. It's not a. It's not a thing. Right. That's, so yeah, if, yeah. If, if if you have a huge following, if you have a huge following, you might be able to get on somebody's stand up show um, because they think that you're going to bring people that are going to buy tickets. Mm-hmm. But after that, if you suck, you'll be persona non grata. You're like you're not getting back on there again. Right. So you you still you still gotta you still gotta go down the the hard road. Um, and comedy is one of the hardest roads, but in my opinion, one of the best and most fulfilling because it's the, uh, to me, it's the only, um, art form that you are not beholden to other people in most senses to go out and perform. You want to be an actor, you got to have something to act in, uh, you can be a musician if you're a soloist, but otherwise you need a band, you need a place to play. It's a much bigger production. You're going to be a stand-up comic, find an open mic, and you're a stand-up comic. Right, right. Absolutely, man. Such a great, great point. Frank, let me touch on what you're doing now and you know some of the work that, that you're doing now as a casting director. You've been in the business now for a while. What has that experience been like for you and and to all the people that, that have the you know dreams of coming out and, and being on reality shows and stuff like that? Maybe give us a bit of insight as to because obviously like this show goes right across camp. We have a huge followership on the uh, on the Yuck Yucks comedy podcast. And, you know, we get a ton of people that that are on the show that ultimately want to venture out to those bigger markets, places like Los Angeles and New York and stuff like that. Tell me a bit about what that casting director 
uh, position has been like for you. And, you know, is that obviously that's a very different animal when you're when you're scripting reality or not scripting, but when you're you're casting reality TV. Yeah. And, you know, reality TV has such a weird connotation because when you say it, people think, you know, Jersey Shore, Real Housewives, that kind of stuff. Right. But reality TV really is unscripted television. And it's anything from those types of crazy docuseries to History Channel programs to game shows and competition shows to formatted shows like your, your typical food shows. So all of those things fall under the umbrella of what we do. Mm-hmm. Um, now, that said... Uh, I wouldn't move to Los Angeles uh, to get on reality TV. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, if you want to be a TV host, which is, does fall under that umbrella, certainly this is a place to be. Right. Um, but, you know, since I've had the opportunity to cast across all those, I've been fortunate enough, you know, I get to bring in a lot of my stand-up comic friends um, for auditions. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to put some of them in some of the, we do some scripted stuff as well. So I've been able to put them in that. Um, But yeah, it's a really, really uh, tough road to do that. Now, if you're pursuing comedy and that simultaneously, you're kind of, you know, you're, you're, you're double dipping in the situation um, if you come to this city. But, uh, but yeah, so there's no real advice other than, um, you know, if, if you want to pursue it, it's no different than, than comedy. This is the city that you have to be in. Right. Um, but, but you're going to want to get a job and you're going to want to, and you're going to want to have money to pay your bills because it's in many ways going to be tougher to make a living in, you know, entertainment, uh, than it is strict. I shouldn't say entertainment, but in, uh, you know, video entertainment, whether that be film or television, than it is in comedy because there's a lot of people nationwide that can hire you to do comedy. Once you're good, Mm -hmm. there's a much smaller pool of people in this town that can hire you and give you a paycheck to appear in front of a camera. Right. And, uh, unfortunately there are a hundred thousand other people vying for that same job. And that's not meant to be discouraging. Uh, somebody has got to get the role just understand when you come out here, it doesn't matter what kind of a unique snowflake you think you are. When you go to your first audition, you're going to see 20 people that are clones of you, that are better actors, that have better resumes, and that are going to go in there and crush the audition. And you're just going to do okay. And then you're going to go back to your shitty little (laughs) studio apartment that you share with three other dudes that are also waiting tables at a fucking diner for $40 lunch tips. And, uh, and you're going to be like, oh, my God, I should just go home and get that assistant manager job at Home Depot like I planned. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that actually brings me back to uh, a, a time you and I went out. I think we went out to a – I don't know where the hell we went. We went out to some bar or something down on uh, – I think it was on the promenade in Santa Monica. And I, I, I think I saw – I think it was uh, Ryan Seacrest. It was uh, some college football game. And I was I remember I was in awe. And, and I remember you were never in awe of celebrities. You were never starstruck. You never were the type of guy to be like, oh, I want an autograph or a picture or any of that. And I, I, like, to me, that was very foreign because obviously coming from a different place where I was just awestruck by these people, I remember one thing that you said to me that really resonated. And, I, and I'm interested to hear if that still stands for you today. Is that, yes, that person has got skills. Yes, they're talented, but they were at the right place at the right time. Does that still 
do you still believe in that? I mean, like, I think the the reference that you were making at that point was to actors. Like, there's nothing that separates. Like, there's a million Brad Pitt. Well, not a million, but I'm sure there's a a large number of people out there that are just as good looking as as you know Brad Pitt or or you know Ryan Seacrest if if that's your fancy and and just as talented. But were they at the right place at the right time, or was it truly because you know they were undiscovered talent that just happened to get that break? Um, it, it's a little bit of both. Uh, you know, I think that if you achieve success in film or television in particular at a very high level, and I should say it about all entertainment mediums, uh, you know, music, comedy, you name it, uh, you have solid skills. Mm-hmm. Now, a lot of people have solid skills. That's a fact. I mean, I see comics every day that you haven't heard of and maybe will never hear of right. that are such monsters on stage that you see them and you're like, how is this person not spelling out theaters? It right. doesn't make any sense to me. Sure. But that's where the right place, right time comes in. If, if when, you know, somebody famous first got their break, uh, at that moment, they were the right person that was fortunate enough to get that audition along with X amount of number of people that weren't quite the right person that we're all in there on the same day at the same time. Right. It's like, it, it, I won't say it's like winning the lottery because that doesn't require any skill, but the timing is very similar. Sure. It's, 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 there's a randomness to it. Right. And, and so would, would, you know, if Brad Pitt hadn't gotten his first few roles, would he have made it anyway? Maybe. Right. Maybe not. Sure. You know, there's also a lot of shitty actors that have made it because of timing. I mean, it, you know, the fact that Jean-Claude Van Damme has had a career, it's mind-boggling. <laughs> but, you know, he was a martial artist with a certain look, right place, right time, didn't need any acting ability, could barely, couldn't even speak English. Schwarzenegger is a great example. I mean, exactly. granted, he sort of grew it as an action actor, at least, and as kind of a funny dude. But when he first started, he was unintelligible. <laughs> You know, you couldn't even tell what he was talking about. Um, so it, it is. And for me, I'm still not starstruck. The only people that resonate with me are people whose art resonates with me, right. uh, to, use, to use the same word. So if I see an actor that I like, I go, oh, cool. I like their stuff. Right. It's, there's, there's very few people on this planet whose art overwhelms me so much that I get, you know, weak in the knees if I saw them and want to take a picture. Right. Um, truth be told, I can only think of one, and it's been the same one since I was 14. <laughs> so, uh, and it's ironic because Hal and I talk about it a lot. We mention Prince almost every podcast. Right, right. Because we're, we're both huge Prince fanatics. <laughs> um, and so as weird as that, that little afro motherfucker is, like, I, I, you know, I'd probably be like a schoolgirl if I met him. Other than that... <laughs> A lot of it is just, uh, like, when I get to meet some of these comics, I'm super excited. I'm not starstruck because I look at them and I'm like, they're just people and they've, they've had a career path that, uh, that I envy in a lot of ways. Sure. But, but I don't get overwhelmed by it because I'm like, just a person, dude. Like, I, I, you know, 
if I see somebody and I'm like, oh man, that comic's been around forever and they're great and they've made me laugh a million times and now I get to shake their hand or I get to go on stage, you know, a half hour before them because I'm in the lineup. Uh, and then, you know, I'm watching them and I'm laughing and I'm like, that guy's fat, dude. He probably has heart disease. <laughs> <laughs> so, and I don't mean that as an insult. I just mean that humanizes everybody. I'm sure. like, that guy probably is going to need a bypass soon. Like, <laughs> well, you know what? It doesn't I... <laughs> really matter how, how famous you are. If, you're gonna, if, you, if somebody's got to put uh, jumpstart your heart, you know what I mean? Exactly. Exactly. And, and before we run out of time, man, I would be remiss to not talk about some of the fitness, uh, that you have been behind. I mean, obviously, uh, you had a big part to play in, in, in just keeping tabs, you know, with you over the years. Spartan Race, um, big uh, competitor in Spartan Race. Uh, am I correct in saying that? Uh, competitor is the wrong word to use. Uh, <laughs> so you are not correct in saying that. I am. Uh, I'm a huge obstacle race enthusiast. Um, and have been for many years now. It is definitely, I've always been a fitness guy. It's reinvigorated my enthusiasm for, for training. Um, and I'm not competitive at any level that is significant to anyone other than me. Right. Um, but I, I do a lot of them. I've, I've done races other than Spartan Race. I've done Tough Mudders. I've done Warrior Dashes. I've done, you know, a lot of them. Right. Um, Spartan race, race is the one I enjoy the most. Um, because it is athletic and, and very difficult. Um, but anyway, yeah, calling me a competitor in it, I, I'm, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit more of a, of a high level enthusiast than I am competitive. <laughs> well, yeah, because well the, <laughs> fitness, well, because fitness has always been a huge part of, of, of your life, man. I mean, you, you know, I, I remember back at the, you were teenage, what was it? Uh, Mr. Maryland or something like that, or wasn't that right? Good boy. That was, that was back before. Uh, Bethesda, where you like? TV uh... was invented. That was a long time ago. <laughs> um, yeah, I, so yeah, when I graduated from high school, I got into weightlifting. I started off. I, I, I competed in bodybuilding and powerlifting for right. many years and, and was pretty successful. Um, I made it up to um, to doing decent on the national level in my mid twenties. Right, uh, and then I just got out of the competition aspect of it. Um, I trimmed down quite a bit. I've always been a workout guy. Yeah. Since yeah. then, um, and then in recent years, yeah, I've gotten into the Spartan races and into uh, a lot more high intensity training than I had been doing um, for a while. And so now I'm, you know, now I, I would just say I'm a super, super avid fitness guy. I want to, I, I take my shirt off. I, I want my wife, who is not quite half my age, but close to it, to go. <laughs> God damn. <laughs> That, yeah. Well, you know what? And that's what I love about yours and Hal's podcast, uh, the Superior Podcast, because fitness does come into that a lot. You guys do talk about some of the fitness. Dude, Hal Sparks is looking fucking jacked. It's so funny because I've seen shows. I, I think it was like on the Disney Channel. Uh, my girlfriend's son watches the Disney Channel all the time. I think he was on Lab Lab Rats or something like that or, or – one of the shows, yeah, 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 one of the Disney shows, and I don't know, it was weird. It was like to me, he always looked at kind of like you know, kind of a small, kind of a softer guy. Didn't really look, you know. But I, I recently started following him on Instagram, and I was like, this fucking dude is jacked, man. Hal Sparks is killing it. Yeah, Hal has, Hal has turned it up a notch with his. He's always been an exercise guy, right? Um, and you know, he's he's basically vegan, so. Uh, which I don't know how you maintain actual uh, human life being a vegan. Yes. That's between Hal and his, <laughs> my, my, and his fucking vegetables. Um, 
but uh, but but he's turned up the intensity in recent years, and uh, and and Hal is big, and it's fun because you know he's hitting a lot of uh, a lot of big personal records for himself in the gym, yeah. and that in turn inspires me, and we push each other back and forth. But yeah, he's got uh, he's got it going on, and, and just to to you know throw out a plug for him. He's diving pretty deeply back into stand-up because he's been so tied up with lab rats for a couple of years. Right. Um, and he's also uh, he's also directing lab rats now. Not all of them, but he he directs episodes. So he's moved into TV directing. So he's, oh, that's awesome. he's even kicking the career up a notch. That guy's on fire. Right that's now. amazing, man. That's amazing. And, and I really implore people to go out there and check out Superior Podcast. Uh, you can catch him on superiorpodcast.com. Frank, uh, how do people find you? I know you're on Twitter, at uh, Frank Prather, and you've also got an amazing blog that you've been keeping for, for years. A blog, but website, I guess I should say, badassdad.com, and, uh, of course, superiorpodcast.com. What's, what's up next for you, man? What, uh, what can people look forward to seeing you do? So uh, this year I'm, I'm, I'm trying to turn up the heat a little bit myself. Uh, you know, the Superior Podcast was phase one of that. Hal and I have a couple of other projects in the works that we're, uh, that we're going to be doing together. Um, I will be getting back on – my son was born last year, so I was tied up with that. I will Congratulations be getting back on, on the stand-up. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. I'll be getting back on the stand-up stage a lot more this year. And, uh, and, and all of the stuff that I do will, will be put out through social media. And it's Frank Prather on all social media. Or go to Badass Dad and you can find my stuff. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, there's quite a few big projects – in, in the works and you know hopefully uh you know yuck yucks will uh will bring hal up there and then i'll get him to uh to drag me along to do a little opening spot so, oh that'd be amazing man that'd be i know people over not during, here would, not not, not during the winter <laughs> fuck, fuck, fuck you guys during the winter I, I was i was looking at uh at some of your updates there on twitter man and it's great because uh, on the east coast uh, you know where you're originally from it's uh, you know it's you know it's the fucking snowmageddon is is happening apparently out there and uh some of your updates, I really, I really encourage people to go on your Twitter. I'm actually going to follow you right now, but going on the Twitter and, and checking out some of your stuff, man, it's it's absolutely genius. Frank, it's been a long time, my friend. It's it's absolutely amazing to see the success that you've had, not only in your personal life, but in your career. You've got a beautiful family, beautiful young uh, child addition to the, to the family, and, and I've always held a very special place in my heart for you as someone who, you know, like I said, inspired me a lot uh, with writing and with comedy and, and all those types of things, and, and I couldn't thank you enough to uh, take the time to come on the show this afternoon, man. No, man, I appreciate that. It was, it was a great way for us to... Uh to catch up and i had a lot of fun and uh, i thank you for having me i hope we stay in touch my friend and uh, actually i look forward to staying in touch and uh thanks again man all continued success with the podcast and uh again thanks so much for taking the time this afternoon frank i really appreciate it my friend my pleasure thanks jake all right folks and there you have it Great interview with Mr. Frank Prather. Be sure to check him out. We will put the links up to his Twitter and his website and everything else. Uh, great guy. Great guy. Thanks for coming on the show, Frank. Looking forward to hearing from you again. In the meantime, check out his podcast, Superior Podcasts. Hey, on behalf of myself, your host, Jake Hirsch, and all the crew at Yuck Yucks, Mr. Mark Breslin, executive producer, Kira Williams, and of course, our webmaster, Camille Sorovi. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned. We will see you next week.